My name is Nicole Baron, and you're listening to The Woo Woo Report, a weekly podcast where we celebrate the woo woo lifestyle and dig deeper to get our mystical questions answered. I'm here with Megan. She's been on the show two times. This is your third time on the show co-hosting with me. Although we're not like interviewing someone together. We're just, you know, you and I get into these rabbit holes of woo-woo thing. (laughs) We have to do an episode about that. And we got into, I think I sent, I sent you, did I send you the article about the lady? Yes. Right. Yes. You tagged me. Yeah. You tagged me in a post or something and I became immediately obsessed. Yes. So this episode is all about past lives. I'm a firm believer in past lives. When I did my whole shamanic healing journey thing, I tapped into a bunch of my past lives and it was absolutely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but also amazing. But it was like, (laughs) Like, wow, like once I like reread everything in my journal and then when I found out all my ancestry DNA, I was like, this makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like it made so much, it it connected so many spiritual dots for me. I was like, oh, oh, oh. So I'm a big believer and I know you're a believer. I am. I am. I'm still not, like I have not explored enough to know enough about my past fields or experiences or lives, but I am absolutely a firm believer. I always have been uh, since I was really, really little. So I'm really excited to talk about this. So before we start, I feel like everyone knows, is familiar with you right now, that you are a Leo sun and a Virgo rising. What was your moon? And I can't remember your moon. It is a Sag. I'm a Sag moon. Sag moon. Okay. Sag moon. So I have two other little, just fun little questions so people get to know you. And I did it. So we went to our friend Allie's birthday. It feels like, like three months ago, but I think it was only like three weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we were in two separate cars. We went shooting and with a trained professional, Allie's husband was in the military. So it was very safe. We went to a safe range. Everything was safe. It was an experience. Everything's cool. Uh, We just like went out into the wilderness with like guns blazing and stuff. Um, We're very responsible. And all of of our snacks, all of our like organic, vegan, gluten-free snacks. (laughs) All of our absolutely perverted jokes about absolutely everything. Um, (laughs) it It was a scene. But we were in two separate cars there, but I rode with the birthday girl and her husband and our friend Myra. And I was like, let's Mm -hmm. do a little little fun game. And I asked a question in the car and I want to know your answer since you weren't in the car. What is a band that most people love, but like when you hear them on the radio, you have to change the station because they just irk you so much. So like a band or a song, I guess. Ooh, that is a good question. Hmm. Uh, I would say I usually change the radio when I hear a Taylor Swift song because I just can't. And also like uh, 21 Pilots a lot. I don't know why. I don't know if it just like reminds me of students maybe. 
I don't know if that's why, but that's definitely, I usually am one of those people, like I have, uh, I'm really, I love music. I listen to music all the time at work. Like I have to have it in the background when I'm doing anything productive in the classroom. I used to always have music going during work time in my classroom. Like I love music and it's rare that I change the channel. I usually will sing through songs, even if I hate them. So that's a weird thing about me. Can you imagine if Taylor Swift and 21 Pilots did like a co-collaboration song and how much you would hate it? Oh my God. I'm like sweating thinking about it. Like I would have a real visceral reaction, I think. (laughs) Okay. So my, I love that question. My, I, I just want to say that the people in this band, I think individually, they're very talented musicians. I just don't like the noise they make when they all come together. <laughs> Is it the Jonas Brothers? Red Hot Chili Peppers. <gasps> Interesting. Interesting. I, Especially yeah. knowing, doesn't your husband love them? Yes. Well, not love. And he our doesn't husband. love them. He like... You know, he's like, oh, like he doesn't Enjoy. care if you like the video, but I can't. I just can't. I, can't. <laughs> I love that you prefaced it that way. Individually, they're all so talented that I don't like the noise they make when they come don't. together. Don't. That's my new favorite description. Yeah, I, I listen. I think that's okay. It's all right. They I get all, it. All the songs sound the exact same, and it sounds how I imagine doing heroin on like Pismo beach is. I've never been to Pismo beach, but I think you're probably right. (laughs) I think you're. (laughs) (laughs) But I think like, I I feel like they talked about Pismo beach on like the OC (laughs) and it was apparently really shitty. (laughs) I do remember that. I remember the OC. Talking about it, yes. I've been there in um, TV spirit, but <laughs> I've seen. I mean, I've seen flyovers of it from yeah. from TV shows, but that's it. Okay, oh my, my other question. So last night I posted on my IG stories that the aftertaste to pumpkin spice lattes tasted like bad movie theater hot dogs. And someone messaged me and was and said, how do you even know what that tastes like? And I had to explain that hot dogs are my favorite yeah. garbage food. They like, really are. I've seen you, I've seen you taken down. I've seen you take down like just a lot of hot dogs all at once in a row at a barbecue. It's impressive. I know. I know. I think what's also funny about it is a lot of people think I'm vegan and I hate to like burst people's bubble. I do. I don't like make hot dogs for myself at home. I think I did once this summer because Caspian went through a phase with hot dogs, but like, yes. I just want everyone to know I do try to eat vegan. I cook mostly vegan at home. I think I make seafood like once every two weeks, but we eat eggs. Yeah. But to everyone who thought I was vegan, this is your, <laughs> your bubble burst moment. I will eat a hot yeah. dog in front of me. I will eat four, even moving. Yeah. But yeah, if it's a holiday and the barbecue is out, you can guarantee Nicole will come over and grub on some hot dogs for sure. But anytime I go to your house, we eat delicious, like vegan, plant-based, like (laughs) 
amazing food. I'm so contradiction. It's, it's okay. It's, it is the balance. It's the light side and the shadow side. You know, we just have to right. Both. Okay. So what right. is your, what's your favorite garbage food? Chicken nuggets. Oh, I think chicken nuggets. Like any chicken nuggets? Because I feel like chicken um, nuggets, like there's a certain like fast food or restaurant yeah. one. Yeah, I like I like a Wendy's chicken nugget. Mm-hmm. I also like I also really like really really love like frozen Morning Star like fake chicken nuggets. Those are good. I love those. Love those. Yeah, yeah. I love any honestly any chicken nugget. I will go to town with. So chicken nuggets, and then I also really love chicken and biscuit crackers, which are so trash, and I love them. Chicken and biscuit cracker. Have you ever had them? No. They're basically like club crackers. Do you know what those are? Yeah. Okay, so it's basically a club cracker covered in, it's basically like the 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 chicken flavor powder from ramen is basically what it tastes like on a cracker, and it's so dope. It's so good, and I can't have them in the house because I'll, like, eat a whole box. They're so good. Oh, speaking of can't have in the house, I recently have made Rice Krispie treats. I did not realize how quickly I can plow through a pan of Rice Krispies. So good. Oh, Oh my God. And then if you make them with Fruity Pebbles, get out of here. Shut Mm. up. Okay, you yeah. need to make those for book club because I've never had that in Fruity Pebbles cereal. Good idea for, yeah, for October book club. That's a really good idea because they're so good. Okay, so now that we've talked about bands we hate and garbage food, um, <laughs> it's just all in alignment, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Okay, so let's do your past life story. So I guess we should preface this. Like I, when I told you about, let's do this episode, it's like, let's share a story that, well, at least my story, I was like, this is one of those stories. I mean, you're going to go first, but with my story, I was, when I heard it, I was like, anyone watching this or that it's heard of this story that doesn't believe in past lives is dumb. Mm-hmm. Like they're just being stubborn and they're just not believing yeah. say they don't believe. Like I was like, you can't, yeah. Like this is absolutely Gwen Stefani B A N A N A S. I feel the same way. This one, I will say, mine. I will say, even Mister, you know, Carl Sagan, you know, my um, my very skeptical husband loves Carl Sagan, and even Carl Sagan said that this woman was intelligent and dedicated, made contributions to her field. And it didn't matter whether or not you believed in reincarnation, that she was still like a special person. So I think I feel the same way that even he felt that about her when he is a scientist, a well-renowned scientist. So, Okay. So yeah. let's have you take the lead with your story. Want me to hit you with it? Yes. Okay. Yes, All right. I'm going to talk about Om Seti. And this is the one that you, like, you sent me an article about this woman. And then I went down, like, a rabbit hole of my own making. Like, on Reddit, I watched a bunch of documentaries. I watched the documentaries, like, in Egyptian with subtitles. Like, I got pretty into it. And your Sagittarius moon, actually. That's a lot of Uh Sagittarius. 
secret secret. Yeah, my my obsession. Yes. So she's this whole story is super interesting, and there's so much like there's so much information on her. There's books. She's been referenced in a ton of stuff. I encourage people to like go out and find out more about her because it's the details are really intriguing. So I'll do my best to like do a little overarching. But so this is the story of Dorothy Louise Edie. And she was born in 1904 in England. And when she was only three years old, she took a tumble down some stairs, which happens all the time. Dorothy actually like, she died. She was like, the doctor came to the house after she fell and her parents found her and this awful thing. And the neighborhood doctor came and said, I'm so sorry, your daughter has passed. And he like left, he put her in bed, which was like a standard thing at that time because it was home doctors. So he tucked her into bed and went to go get a nurse to come back and help him take her to his like office, I guess, or whatever they did then. And they came back and she was like upright in bed playing with her toys and did not know what had just happened. So it was like this huge miracle. But all of a sudden she, like quickly thereafter, like a few weeks after, she started just kind of like acting really oddly. She got, she became like really jumpy and withdrawn and would like hide in closets or under the bed. And I think at first they, people thought it was, you know, because of the injury. And I am somebody who's had a lot of concussions. So, you know, heightened anxiety is pretty common after something like that. Um, especially when you're a little kid and you just took a tumble, like you're probably going to be pretty like nervous, right? So they just kind of figured it was something she was going to need to get over. But then she started talking really strangely and saying that she wanted her parents to take her home, even though they were in their own house. She became more and more detached. She started getting really obsessed with things that she'd never cared about before, like architecture. And she started describing her dreams really vividly to her parents. And she talked about having seeing these old buildings and these big columns that were near her her home that she wanted to go back to. And her parents were like, "There's nothing like that around us. Like we don't know what she's talking about." And so one day she's like flipping through a children's book, and remember this is in like the early 1900s. And there's a picture of the Egyptian pyramids, and she all of a sudden tells her parents that is her home, like that's her other home, and that's where she wants to be. And her parents were just thinking, you know, she's, you know, she's like, she's got a good imagination, you know, like she's, we got a weird kid. We're just going to ride it out. And so then her family took a trip to the British Museum in London and the British Museum ends up being kind of really important to her. And they're like walking through the British Museum and they came upon this exhibit about the Egyptian pharaohs. And she like, lost it talk about b-a-n-a-n-a-s this child like lost it she completely lit up when she saw these statues of the egyptian gods and goddesses and she started like running to them in the middle of this museum and like kissing their feet like the statues which like can you imagine that like you're just like with your kid at the museum and they're like eight or nine or so and they're just like sprinting around the museum like kissing artifacts because I guess they didn't have glass cases around things then so that was like threw her parents off a little bit as you can imagine and kind of she started getting really obsessed with like spending time there and 
her parents, you know, let her and, you know, took her there. And she ended up meeting this famous Egyptologist. His name was, this is one of the most buck wild names. And I love it very much. And I think that if I ever get another pet, this is what I'm going to name it. His name was Sir Ernest Alfred Thompson Wallace Budge. Rolls right off the tongue. It does. (laughs) And he was known for kind of like bringing a lot of knowledge about Egypt to Britain. And then he kind of ran the Egyptian antiquities area in the British Museum. And so he thought she was really like interesting and smart. And he encouraged her to start studying hieroglyphics and the hieroglyphs and, and encouraged her to explore that. And so that kind of like started this like lifelong dedication that she had to Egypt. And uh, I will say, like I said, you know, Carl Sagan has long said that she was an interesting character. And the New York Times actually talked about her um, in an article. And they said that her story was one of the Western world's most intriguing modern cases of reincarnation. Because what started as like a very, uh, as an interest in Egypt and then saying she lived in Egypt. Whereas sometimes you hear with past life stuff, and I don't know if you've seen this as a trend too, a lot of times it'll be really potent when a kid is really young. And then as they get older, it starts to kind of drift from them. Yeah. Or they start to lose some of their memory or whatever. But that did not happen with Dorothy, which is something that makes her different. And, and kind of, I don't know, just it's uh, it's intriguing. So she ended up, after World War I, she moved in with her grandmother and started studying um, Egypt more. And then by the time she was in her teens, um, when she was around 15, she claimed that in her sleep, Egyptian pharaohs were visiting her. And she claimed that it was Pharaoh Seti I was visiting her in her dreams and that him coming to her had reminded her of her past life in more detail. So it wasn't until she was like 15 that she had the details. So she claimed that she was the daughter of one of Seti, the first soldiers. And so it was one of his soldiers and a woman who was a vegetable farmer. She was like, or um, sold vegetables in the market. She was convinced that that's what her mom had done. And she said that her mother died when she was really young. And so she was given to the temple of Abedos, which is a place in Egypt. And she grew up and was a priestess there. And she claimed that when she was 12, she became a consecrated virgin. But then a few years later, she met Pharaoh Seti I, who was considered a living God, and that they became lovers, and she had a, um, got pregnant. And this was not, uh, not approved. So the high priest of the temple basically told her she, you know, she was a consecrated virgin. She had... She had broken that promise and that she was causing problems for the Pharaoh. So she committed suicide. Um, she said that's what her, um, what she had done in her past life, that she'd done that for the, for her one true love to not ruin his name. And so she started saying that when she was about 15 and she said that she stopped feeling attached to Christianity. Um, she started having a lot of nightmares and she was sleepwalking and she ended up being sent to a sanatorium a few different times during her life. But she always came back out and continued her studies and continued her, you know, her story never changed. She started collecting artifacts. She attended an art school and she was 
um, interested in, she started writing about Egypt um, and she wrote plays and all sorts of stuff. Then she started working for like a magazine that was all about like Egyptian. um, It was kind of like PR a little bit, I think. And she wrote articles and did like political cartoons showing her like political support for Egypt at the time to become an independent community. And she met her husband who was Egyptian during that time. And she ended up moving to Egypt and getting, which is what she'd always wanted to do. She moved to Egypt with him. And it was said that when she first, when her feet, her feet first touched um, Egypt land, I think she was in her mid twenties at that point. She kissed the ground um, and told people that she was, she was home. Finally, she and her husband had a son whom she named Seti and she started saying she had more visions. She found her former Egyptian name was revealed to her in a dream. She met her families in dreams, she said. And researchers started being really intrigued by her. She started, um, she became very well-known. She was living in Cairo. And she became really well-known because she would go and like sleep at the Great Pyramid. And people thought she was like crazy. But she all these researchers were really intrigued by her because she was able to tell them things about prayers and traditional ritual and what it looked like. Talk. She knew the plot of all these like religious documents that they had before she could even read them. Like she just knew what was in them. She had descriptions of monuments and things like that that were confirmed. Like they would excavate something that she had described at some point. Some people in the town kind of mocked her, but a lot of researchers and Egyptologists found her to be really reliable and and utilized her. So she worked for some researchers at museums. She used to like catalog artifacts and things like that for them because she seemed to be really proficient in it already. Like she already knew what everything was. And the research team that she'd um, been working with for, for like 20 years in Cairo, they ended up, you know, their funding changed or something. And so she decided to move back to Abydos, where she said that she had been um, in her past life. Um, and she was like in her 50s. And she moved back and set up a home um, near this mountain. And it was supposed to be, it's this mountain that was supposed to be the road to afterlife. And in her 50s, she started asking to be called Om Seti, which means mother of Seti, which was her son's name, um, as well as the name of the pharaoh. And, you know, she said she was back home. She, again, when she, uh, she used to go to that temple all the time, the temple that she had lived in when she was a child in her past life. And when she went to the temple, one of, they had like an antiquities department of the temple he decided to kind of like check her a little bit and see if she was legit or not because he'd heard lots about her. And she was asked to stand next to these like wall paintings in the temple in the darkness. And she was asked to like identify them with what she remembered. And she went through the whole thing like without making any mistake. Like she knew what all of them were and she could describe them in significant detail she wrote a ton of books. She she also had this, like, uh, there was a temple for Seti I that she helped um, create the garden for it because she said that that was the place that um, she had actually first met him when she was 12. 
and she remembered it and she laid it out and she it was like she recreated it kind of as a new garden she they excavated and ended up finding basically exactly what she described and she because of her information like they found um they found some uh, a tomb in the valley of the kings because of something that she describes they ended up finding something uh, a burial of um there's a bunch of women from the 18th dynasty that she had like described uh, and ended up finding them. And she lived until she was 81, which is a long time, <laughs> a long time for that era. And with all she went through, she had ended up, Oh, I, for, I did forget to say that she and her husband actually got divorced. So when she was in her fifties and moved to that mountain, she, she had divorced him. So she was like really doing that on her own, which was also really unique and rare. But she, uh, she when she died, it, um, she was uh, buried in a cemetery in Abydos, and she um, truly believed that, you know, at death she was going to go back and find her one true love, who she'd sacrificed her her last life for. So I just think she's so interesting because she had so much knowledge, and so many people found things based on what she described and knew. And that she shouldn't have known anything about. I mean, obviously, she learned a lot as she got older. She, you know, studied, but there was so much that she knew naturally that she shouldn't have had, that she shouldn't have known. And I just think she's so interesting. So I like, am fully obsessed. I, I think I have about five books that I want to read about her now, and I want to read one of hers too because I'd love to read something in her own words. I've read some interviews and watched some interviews with her and they're also really, really interesting. So yeah, that is Om Seti, the Egyptian, yeah, the, the incredible Egyptian life of Om Seti. That's so crazy how far down that rabbit hole you went. I was just like, here's this article. I know, dude. Probably it's quite interesting. You're like, I have 27 books and I've spent 17 hours. <laughs> I'm fully, fully, fully into it. I just can't believe it. It's like, yeah. I've never, because I've never read a story that was like that, where it's like her passion and her knowledge like increased and stayed the same. And her life would have been so much easier if she, do you know what I mean? Like she wouldn't have had to fight for like respect <laughs> from people if she had just gone a different route in her life, but she decided to stick with what she knew to be true and what I believe to be true as well. And I just think that that's really amazing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's, that's, that's different than just like, you know, some people are like, well, I think I was, you know, like, that'd be like me being like, oh, I love like Gatsby or clothing, me going like, well, then I must've lived in, you know, that <laughs> like, no, that doesn't right. mean not the same thing. Yeah. Well, and you and I both with kids, I mean, like you and I both know that like for a kid to have that kind of like emotional reaction, like she had the first time at the museum with her parents, like for a child to have that kind of emotional, like they really need to have an emotional attachment. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of people are not going to have that kind of emotional attachment to like a big slab of stone. Yes. No, right? exactly. like, <laughs> like that's not like, yeah. And to me, to go and kiss its feet mm -hmm. is another thing that I'm like, 
uh, I don't know that a lot of like little kids in England would have known that that was a, no, you know, so yeah. So that's her. Look her up. She's so interesting. And she looked so happy. You see pictures and video of her in her, you know, in her sixties and seventies. And like, she just looks so at peace and so happy to be home. And I just think that's really special. She's living her truth. That's what happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she knew she was going to be with, with her love when she was gone. And I think that's really great. So yeah, that's, that's my story. It makes me all warm and fuzzy because she got exactly what she wanted. That makes me happy. I love stories like that, especially for women and especially during those times, you know, like it's not like there was a lot of support for that. Yeah. And she, you know, she made it through world war one and you know, I mean, like she went through a lot of turmoil in her life. Her marriage to her Egyptian husband was not a healthy or happy one. Mm -hmm. So she, yeah, she went through a lot. Well, good for her. I hope she's, I'd be so interested to know because I haven't done enough research. Like I would think because we, I mean, like my belief in just also my own personal belief. And then I've read stuff that pretty much backs it up. Not that I would need that backup, but I was like, okay, like this, I mean, it makes sense is that our soul chooses, you know, when we're born and who we're born to and Mm -hmm. were reincarnated. And, you know, I wonder if there was, because a lot of times you have to go through reincarnation to fulfill some sort of uh, karmic path, or if you have a pact with someone or whatever it is, like, I wonder if now she just had to go through that lifetime and now she doesn't have to be reincarnated again. If she can just be in peace and whatever the afterlife is with her love and just chill. You know, like I would hate yeah, it. graduated, incarnated. You know, again, it's like no. Um, yeah, yeah. She's yeah, just. I, hope she's done. I I also wonder if part of the reason that she came back after sacrificing herself in such a like traumatic way, uh, I wonder if you know coming back in order to give some of that knowledge to some of those researchers was mm-hmm. part of her past and part sure. of her final like piece. Yeah, I think. I like to think that that was why she came that second, that, you know, the last time was to give more, more understanding and, and knowledge to researchers. I, I totally can see that. That makes a lot of sense because she just spent her doing that. So, I mean, it makes, makes perfect sense. Just, you know, past lives makes so much sense. Um, nothing to question. Obviously. Obviously. Absolutely. So my story, so my story started, so I originally had heard this on, it was like, I think the show, and now I can't like find the name of the show, of course, but it was like, I think it was called like the ghost that lives in my child or something like that. It was, Oh. oh, I can't remember what channel it was on, but it was, I don't think it was travel channel, but it was just, I don't think it went on for a ton of seasons because I mean, how many people are really writing their kids past stories, you know, I remember hearing this story and I'll tell you how I remember hearing it. And then when I kind of followed up, looking it up, what I found and how I remember the story was there was this kid who pretty much was, he had told, he, my memory of the story was, and I think it is the ghost that lives in my child or yeah, I think that's the name of it. Um, I think it might've been on AMC. I'm not sure, but maybe discovery, but it was his child that told his parents that he had died on the Titanic 
And he went to an exhibit at the Titanic and like all this stuff started clicking and he just had this like obsession with it. And he was really young, like five is how I remember this story going, but really obsessed with it. And then the, he asked for like a computer game about the Titanic and they got him this computer game and he was playing it. And he was like, no, this isn't right. The way it, it's like one of those like firsthand computer games where like, it's from like your perspective, if you're like going through the Titanic sort of thing. And he was telling yeah. his parents that the layout wasn't right. And when he wrote, wrote out the actual layout of the Titanic, they later discovered that the video game for the computer was wrong and that how he remembered it actually was the correct way the Titanic really was built. And this is a five-year-old, like he should not have like, like he was just like, this is how it's built, blah, blah. So that's how I remember the story. I remember when I first watched that, because I used to, I mean, I will watch any paranormal show. I don't care. Like if it's Mm -hmm. on, you know, like whenever I get sick, I like binge watch all this stuff. And I just remember, (laughs) I was like, that is, and I think it was eerie to me because I remember when I was little, I'm not saying I was on the Titanic, but I remember going to an exhibit for the Titanic and this is, I think the movie had come out and that's why there was a traveling exhibit of it. But I just remember going through that and how eerie and just terrifying, just seeing what people went through for the Titanic and what really happened and stuff that it felt so odd to me to hear the story of this child talking about dying Titanic. Like, it, like I don't know why anyone would want to relive those feelings or those moments. So I looked up the story and there's actually a lot of stories about, and I remember too on the show, it was like pretty much he did it, did all the stuff Titanic, talked about Titanic. And then he like went to sleep and he was having like nightmares. And then he like woke up one day or whatever, or like it slowly dissipated. And then like the older he got, like by like age 10 or Something like that. He just had no recollection or like they took him to mm-hmm. exhibit. No, they found out who he said, who he was. And they like got closure on how he died and was like, yes, you were on Titanic. This is who and he's like, yep, that's who I was. That's how I died. He went to sleep. And like the next day, like didn't care about the Titanic anymore. Like got the closure Whoa. and was fine. That's how I remember the story. So there's a lot of action. There's actually a lot of, when I like Googled just some like very obscure keywords about this. Actually, a lot of stories about kids talking about dying on the Titanic. And this isn't like during the era of when you and I, like these kids are still younger than you and I. So this isn't like when the movie came out with Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet and it was like a thing. These are young kids. So then I found this forum and I don't know. So the problem here too is a lot of, they changed this kid's name a lot, which I understand to protect his identity because yeah. he's like five. Mm-hmm. It was when this story started getting shared, you know, publicly. Right. But I found this form and it pretty much says, my son's memories of the Titanic. And the discussion of this form is children's past lives, age seven and under. So this woman, Susan M, and she wrote this February 10th, 2014. She wrote, from the ages of four to six, my son Jamie, and spelt J-A-M-E-Y, has had, had vivid memories of sailing and dying on the Titanic. The whole episode started when he saw the end of the movie Titanic, and the very next day he started painting, drawing, and outlining the Titanic. Some drawings cut the ship in half, showing every level in hundreds of rooms and windows. He also suffered, suffered from night terrors where he would wake up 
and run through the house like he was looking for a way out. By the time he was six, we took him to see the Titanic exhibit in Chicago in 2000. He studied every piece of the exhibit, and a few weeks later had a night terror that seemed to, re- to relive the sinking of the ship. After that nightmare, he slowly stopped talking about it. Just this past summer, he exper- he experienced his experience was featured on The Ghost Inside My Child. Now, at 20 years old, he remembers the Titanic being as familiar to him as his own house. I also wrote about his experiences in my book, The Secrets of the Universe. I have not looked up this book, by the way. So a bunch of people commented, oh, welcome to the forum. I saw your episode on TV and also the podcast, blah, blah, blah. So then I was like, okay, that was, let me look up like the name JMA, Titanic, blah, blah, blah. And I found this really cool article, which I'll link in the show notes. And it's like just little blurbs about some of the best stories about children and reincarnation and past lives. But this is the one that linked back to that familiar story, but they gave him a different name. And I'm just going to read it word for word of this entry. So it's like the top like 15 stories or something. And his was number six and it says the victim of the Titanic. It reads, one woman told a story about her child remembering things he should not remember. For obvious reasons, the woman decided to keep all the identities anonymous, but let's call this kid Arthur. When Arthur was only four years old, strange things started happening. He was watching Titanic with his family when a scene in the boiler room came up. Arthur looked closely at the TV, thought for a second, and calmly said, that's wrong, the boilers were on the other side, and I was right there. I can imagine how shocking it must have sounded to Arthur's parents. I mean, he was only four years old, and it was impossible that he had any information about Titanic at all. However, Arthur continued saying, that's why I don't like water now. Well, if he was telling the truth, we cannot blame him for disliking water. However, I still have many doubts about legitimacy of this story. It is just too distor- it is just too disturbing to be true. So then I tried to look up the episode and I couldn't find any full episodes of the ghost inside my child. I hate that title, by I, the way. I know. It sounds so not so okay. problematic. But it was just kind of like it didn't really talk about the part I remember where there was like a video game the kid played and how, you know, to add up. But then I tried to search Jamie and like, I'm sorry, Jamie, but they spell it J-A-M-E-Y. So I just going to, I have to say like Jamie, but it's just, I think Jamie, um, <laughs> but I couldn't find anything and I couldn't find Arthur. So I totally understand like protecting the child's identity but it kind of like, I got to like some dead ends, but I found this book, which is interesting. And I did not have a chance to listen to it. It is available on audiobook, but it's called My Life and Death, A Past Life Interview with Titanic's Designer. And like the little info thing says, by all accounts, Thomas Andrews, designer of the, is the designer of the ill-fated Titanic and went down with the ship. But then how could someone else know not only the vivid and horrific details of what Andrews experienced that tragic night, but also details of his entire life. Since his youth, Williams Barn, which sounds like this is a pen name. It's not his real name, um, has been haunted by a reoccurring nightmare. A huge ship loomed over head, piercing screams, heated arguments, frigid stabbing, water and it's just like a blurb of apparently this person has a past life and is the guy that 
went down with the ship, but a lot of the Amazon reviews are like, it's not a real person. This has been debunked. And then other people are like, no, there's so much in here that just doesn't like add up. Like it adds up and it makes sense, but it's just like how this like, person could have known. Um, like how could it happen? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think for me, the reason the story is so compelling is one, I actually think it's more compelling that I hit so many roadblocks because this kid's identity was protected. And I just remember so vividly, like, so that thing was like the kids, you know, most like believable past life things with kids that I read where it was like, oh, the boiler room wasn't there, it was over there. I, you know, that's not where the boiler room was. It was over here. Like that's, I remember the kid playing, like talking about like the video game he's playing. He's like, no, this isn't designed right. Like this is how it was. And then I remember them, he like found out his past life name. And when he had found out, like, he got that closure and then everything was fine. But I don't remember if, I don't think he was the person that like went, was like the designer of the Titanic. He was just part of the crew. So I don't know like the whole closure experience with it, but I just remember being so eerie. I'm still bummed out that like I had so many, you know, roadblocks on it. But you know, every story that I did read about it was, pretty much in the same thing of like the mom on some forums and the same thing with like the layout yeah. not being correct. And he knew the layout and they took him to the exhibit, found his name, everything was fine, but he was about four to five to six when all this was going on. So I totally understand the respecting of the identity and not, uh-huh. it sounds like uh-huh. after that, like he didn't bring it up very much. So I'm thinking maybe this person just doesn't want to talk about it, which I understand and respect. Like, Mm-hmm. it's a pretty traumatic way to die. <laughs> with a tight and I feel like it's, but it's like, yeah, like no, even seeing, you know, even seeing the end of Titanic or even going and seeing the, you know, seeing the ship at, the, at a museum or something, an exhibit, you know what I mean? Like if you're five or six, like you wouldn't know the layout of the ship just from those things. It's yeah. just not, I mean, I've seen, I've seen like, you know, TV shows about, you know, about the Titanic and stuff. And like, I don't, I don't know the, you know what I mean? Like I'm a grown adult who's watched things that have the visuals from the ship on them. And I don't know, enough. you know, it's just, that's wild. And also would be so scary as a parent to have your kids say that. And then you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Like, how do I? how do I help them with this? Especially with like nightmares and stuff like that. I think nightmares are in almost every story that I've ever read about a past life that there's been nightmares of the death or home or something that keeps happening, which I think is really interesting. Um, That's definitely my whole, I mean, not like, I mean, Caspian has nightmares, but I don't know what exactly is happening in them yet. Cause he doesn't, Mm-hmm. No, he's a two-year-old, so his speech is very limited. Right. But I'm very interested to see if these things surface. I also, mm-hmm. when I was reading all this, like you, you mentioned, like most kids, like it kind of tapers off, you know. So I, my dad doesn't have the best memory because my dad's going to be 83 in February. So I mean, he's old. He's he's a healthy old person, but he still just has like a really not mm-hmm. great memory. 
But I'm really curious to see if there is anything that I was really interested in or obsessed with when I was younger. Um, and if, you know, some of the past lives that I tapped into when I was on the table during my, you know, shamanic journey to see if there's any connection between those things either, because like you said, like children are, they're so pure and everything is so like, there's no, like the veil is very thin, you know, like none of it's like, oh, we don't talk about the spiritual side or we don't talk about these other things. Like it just all the same to them. So they haven't really been conditioned yet. And I do think there is something to be said about kids. And I even get interested in, and I don't know, I have to, I would have to research this, but Caspian has very specific foods he likes, which mm-hmm. like, not that I dislike them. Like I like them, but like he loses his he loses his shit over them. Like he, he's like, mm, he's like, oh, like he like has like a food orgasm over yeah, yeah. certain tastes and flavors, you know? And so I'm like, I wonder if like in a past life he was in this culture and like, this is so familiar and just amazing to him to like relive those tastes again or something because. You know, that just reminded me of, of last time I came over and had, can I tell a personal story about you? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's cute. It's last time I came over and we uh, had dinner and, and watched a movie with the girls. He was, do you remember he was running around with tahini on his finger, shoving it in my mouth? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, just, I've never seen, like, a two-year-old that excited. I mean, he was just, like, tried it the first time and was, like, so excited. He was, like, mmm, and, like, was obsessed with it all night. He wanted to, like, put it on his finger and then make sure everybody else tasted it. He he eats it straight. Like, I try to put on watermelon. And if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's, like, the spicy stuff. Like, if you ever get, like, the cut-up fruit at the fruit stands... And a lot of the Hispanic markets have it with like the, it's just like, I don't even know what spice, like a chili lime spice. He just will stick his finger in and eat it. He loves it. Yeah. And it's the cutest thing. He just runs around with his finger like out extended and wants to feed it to you. It's so cute. Yes. Yeah. He's, yeah. He, that's so interesting. I've never thought about that. Yeah. That'd be so cool to think about the foods that he does and see what regions they're from, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like he loves that. He loves um, like Japanese or, sort yeah. of infusion restaurants, uh, the soups, like the very gingery miso, like all those certain flavors. He loves mm-hmm. those kinds of soups and just ginger. Yeah. He loves ginger, like ginger. There was Tokyo table, which is kind of like a Benihana's we have here, like mm-hmm. the ginger dressing on the little salad. And he'll just like lick the dressing. Yeah. He just wants the ginger. And I'm like, that's very... <laughs> That's like so very cool. specific flavor note for a two-year-old. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Ser- yes. Yes. Yeah. It's very, it's uh, very interesting to me. So I'm, I'll be interested when he can communicate like nightmares he's had or past lives stuff or. Yeah. Just dreams he's having. I mean, mm-hmm. like with Dorothy, it was like that dream was how she, you know, got all of the information. I mean, but it makes sense. Like you were saying, like, that's when we are most vulnerable to to the other side and to other beings. So it makes sense that they come to us then. Yeah. It's so interesting. I I need to do some more work and figure out like, I need to like be 
I need to dive in and I need to find some of that stuff about myself because I have some inclinations, but I don't know. Well, there's, I know there's like specific people that will look into just your past lives. I mean, like, I don't know if the technical term would be past life reader or what you call people. Yeah. Like a past life guide or something. Yeah. yeah. I know that like, not always like when you go through like a shamanic journey, you don't always tap into past lives. Like whatever needs to come out comes out on the table. So it just depends. So it's not like a specific part of it. But I know there are people that can do hypnosis to get that information. And there are people that, uh, it's called something. It's a, see, I can't even think of the word now. It's like, I've, I've consumed too much woo-woo stuff this week to... It'll come to you at like one thirty in the morning. I'm so sorry. It'll probably like talk to you. You know, it's that. not like, it's not the same as like, you wouldn't look... It's just, there's something about, there's another way of like describing past lives and I can't remember what it's called. Mm-hmm. And people like, you know, are professionals in that and can access that. But I know I need to, I need to find somebody to help me with that. Cause yeah. I see, I feel like I'm getting, I feel like I'm ready to try yeah. to like do some healing. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I got some past lives that need some healing that I need to work on. So I really wanted to yeah. do an episode sharing some of my past lives, but then I'm also like, mm. I care if people think I'm quote unquote, you know, I'm doing parentheses <laughs> thing with my fingers, you know, crazy. I hate that word, but I yeah. feel like that's the way like people describe people that are like, just say things that mm-hmm. make, just don't seem to make any sense. But yeah, I, so I, my cousin was in town this last weekend visiting and she's starting her spiritual journey. She, she has meditation and stuff like that, but she saw a psychic and she saw the same psychic twice. And she's very like Virgo type A. And she almost like wanted, like she was, you know, if she was like, I'm willing to pay $200 to be proven right that this person isn't real. Like that's very, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, she told like the psychic knew like so much personal stuff about her. And when she was talking about, she was like, so what do you do with Oracle readings? And then I was like, oh, we should. She's like, yeah, whatever want to do when she was here, I took her crystal shopping and I, you know, we're, she's deep diving into it. She actually, I recommended her to a healer and she's going to go see this healer. And so she's very invested now. Yeah. I told her about some of my past lives. I was like, well, I'll tell you some of them. I was like, but they're going to sound like insane. Like they're going to sound insane. (laughs) I read to her from, so when I was under like hypnosis, not hypnosis, but like the meditative transcript, Mm -hmm. like I just, the healer was just writing all the stuff down. And then she gave me her, what she wrote down, everything that I said she wrote down. And then I recopied it into my own journal so I could reference Mm -hmm. it. And then a lot of times, which did happen, like other certain things came up. And so I would add that, but just even rereading it, I'm like, it was just stuff that it's not like anything I ever had an interest in, in before it, a lot of it was a lot of geography, which I'm terrible with geography. I am the worst. It's not like I would know any of this. You know what I mean? Like people are like, where's Wisconsin? I'm like, I don't fucking know in the middle. I don't know. Like I, I don't know. Like I'm the worst with geography. So like it was stuff like that was like, why would I know this? And then like other stuff about certain eras with certain people at war, which 
it's nothing I would have studied or would have been taught in school, but like I knew a lot of when I researched it later, all the details were correct. <laughs> so that's insane. It's insane. But then there's like stuff that went so like I my first past life is like so far ago that it sounds like fairy tale land, not to be made up. And I'm not even one to be into that sort of stuff. Like I not like it sounds like Harry Potter, but it kind of does in a lot of ways. And I've never <laughs> read Harry Potter. I'm one of the people that have hasn't. I think I've seen like two of the movies oddly by chance. And I'm not someone that like deep dives into those things. I'm not like right. interests for me. But I was like, I should do an episode talking about some of these past lives. And I was like, oh, like I just wonder though if <laughs> it's going to be. Well, I love to hear them personally. <laughs> so I think anybody. Any of your listeners, uh, I think, would love to hear it. I would love to hear your story about it because I think it just makes it more accessible. You make yeah. a lot of this stuff more accessible. That's like your, that is one of your gifts. And so I'm just saying. Do it. Maybe I'll do I it. I want to hear about them at least. Maybe <laughs> at least give me the tea. The grand, oh, yeah. I'll just, you can just take my journal and read it. You can read my, <laughs> my fancy. I call it fancy chicken scratch because it's chicken scratch, but like every now and then there's like a cursive F and like L and fancy A. So it's like a fancy. Ooh, um, so, <laughs> but oh it's, gosh, it's, so cool. it's, it's definitely a trip, but past lives. I'm, I think, I think it would be sad if we did not have them. And if we, mm-hmm. Um, you know, not every soul is an old soul though. Like there are new souls. So, I mean, that is a, that is a case. Um, I have a friend that has four kids and her mom is a sensitive and her mom said one of her children is a new soul. Um, she knows which one, but it's just like, you know, it's not like, Oh, you know, it's a bummer to not be an old soul, not saying that, but I think, you know, we definitely choose the families that we're born into and Mm -hmm. situations and we reconnect with people that I think we had deals with in other lives to like see again in certain lifetimes and Uh Uh I completely agree and I think I think we are also you know like I said about myself I think I have trauma from past lives that need to be healed and I feel like that's part of why I'm here is to heal those versions of myself and, and make sure that they're taken care of. And yeah, I think, I, I think that's part of it too. There's something that I need to do while I'm here that, uh, I need to make sure I get done. So mm-hmm. yeah. And I think um, a lot of us, like, even if it's not is, you know, solving mysteries of Egypt. It can even just be like you said, like we need to come, like we have so much, I think after so many lifetimes of trauma, because most people do experience trauma in one way or another that are sort of like, okay, well, let's try this next time to see if we can heal it now. Okay. Nope. That didn't work. So let's try this next time to try and heal it now. And it's just kind of like, you know, it doesn't always have to be this like big whole thing of like, Right. history of the pharaohs it can really just be our soul <laughs> our own soul or yeah. our soul spending a lifetime with another soul because we had so much fun in a previous life that we're like let's meet up again yo let's meet up for drinks in this next oh, totally. <laughs> totally i yeah i love that so i feel like it's that's why i think it's so i don't know that's why i always 
you know, like I said earlier, like I alluded to, like my husband is not, um, he's so supportive and wonderful, but not personally, he's just much more of a skeptic than I am. But I always tell him because I, I believe these things to be true because I feel them to be true in, in my core. Um, and I always tell him like that, how much, you know, how much better is it to live knowing that like, I don't know. I love carrying this idea that like I'm, I'm here doing something and I'm here serving a purpose and I am, you know, the souls that I'm connected to are important to me and have been important to me for generations of myself. And like, I think that's so awesome. It makes me feel even better about being alive and being in the community I'm in and having the friends I have and the partner I have because it feels like we're all connected and like, that's how I want to live my life. So like, not everybody has to believe it. I just think that it's, I think it's just more fun to live that way. Like it's, it's more fun to feel connected and part of a community, which is something that we don't have as much anymore as we did a thousand years ago. So, so true. I, yeah. So I'm just like, yeah, that's why I feel so passionate about it. And I just, and I feel comforted by it. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like to, I like, you know, obviously having, you know, my, my soul sisters like you around that I can like share that stuff with. It makes it even more rich and rewarding. And then I just get to go dive down these like deep dives on Reddit and find out about Om Seti and then feel like she had this beautiful, epic, like last, you know, reincarnation, I think, where she, and then she got to really live out what she deserved and what she worked so hard to get. And I love that. I'm here for that story. A hundred percent. It is a very, it's interesting because it's, it's one of those stories that's very romantic, but it's also, she was the hero of her own journey. Like Mm -hmm. she, you know, was like, Oh, I'm doing this because I have this true love and not just for her true love, but also I think just for the history of Egypt itself and the culture and then, but she was definitely her own hero in every aspect. Like it was, yeah. it's a very rare story for a woman, I think. And it's a really brave mm-hmm. story. Cause I mean, I, I think it would probably, you know, like, I'm like, I can't like, I'm like, I'm thinking about talking about past lives, but also like, you know, part of me is like, mm, like, I'm like, I have a child and I don't want someone to be like, this woman's crazy. Yeah. Take my child away, you know? So like, right. I imagine back then, you know, her just being like, I live this life in Egypt and I'm going to tell you where everything is buried and all this other yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. In the thirties, like, like, are you kidding me? You know, like living in, you know, in Egypt during that time and being as loud and open and like confident as she was. And you know, not that her life was easy by any means, but just that she never backed down. Like it would have, life would have been easier for her if she did. And she didn't. And she still ended up getting exactly what she wanted. That's, that's all any of us can hope for. It's true. It's true. Thank you for asking me to be on so that I could talk about it. I love doing this. It's so fun. It's so fun. I love it too because it's like the most chill. I'm like, oh yeah, five minutes before I'm like, here's the link. I'll talk to you in a few. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we're like texting in the group chat before we do this. It's nice. It's good. It's fun to do that with friends. 
we'll have to, I don't know what our next episode should be. We did talk about doing an episode about the fact that we've all been dead since what, 2012, apparently, or something like that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I I mean, maybe that would be a really good one for like, Thanksgiving, like before Thanksgiving, something people can talk about at the Thanksgiving table with their so November. So when they go home, you're like, "What are you thankful for?" I'm thankful for the fact that we've been dead for the last seven years. What? Yeah. Was, None of this is real. Okay, guys, that we've been dead for seven years. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I have another idea that, like, I think even if I'm not involved, you have to talk about it, and I will send it to you after we get off the phone. Okay. Uh, I love because I saw something today and I was like, ooh, I need to talk to Nicole about this. <laughs> okay. Please send immediately. Well, I will. All right. Well, I'll send me any links. I'm going to link stuff in the show notes to that article I talked about with like all these really creepy kids' yeah. stories and I'll text it to you too. But if you have anything you want to send or I'll put it in the show notes, like any like... Yeah. So you ought to pick like, I guess like one interview or one link and like one. Yeah. Yeah. I'll find something and send it to you. Send me a few. And yeah. Yay. All right. I will talk to you soon. Okay. Goodbye, friend. Get a bonus episode of the Woo Woo Report featuring ghost stories from my own personal experiences and custom moon phase ritual PDF downloads sent directly to your inbox every month. Check out the show notes to visit our Patreon page for more details and help keep the woo-woo report on the air. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the woo-woo report. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Nicole Baron, N-I-C-O-L-E-B-U-R-R-O-N to stay up to date on everything woo-woo.